Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show, first broadcast back on the 15th of July in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. for a place to get cool? Well, come on in. Come on in. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Boomer Boulevard Podcast. This is the podcast where we play old-time radio shows we remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome. Everybody loves these great shows. Chester has got a great lineup tonight. He made the choices. We're going to start off with your welcome, Chester. No, it, it's an outstanding lineup. It really is. We're going to start off with an episode of Escape that takes place at sea. And then we're going to follow that up with an episode of um, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Wonderful, wonderful show. Uh, And their guest is Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. And uh, that's a lot of fun. Then we're going to follow that up with Gunsmoke in an episode that starts off rather lighthearted and then boom, on a dime it turns and becomes very heavily dramatic. It's a great lineup, so get yourselves cooled off, get something cold to drink, put your feet up, and come back here in about 30 seconds, because we're going to get started as soon as you get back.
That's the Sailor's Hornpipe you're listening to. Why are we playing that, you ask? Well, it's because for our first show tonight, we are going to go to sea. What we're going to listen to here is a very early episode of the program Escape. This was first broadcast back in July of 1947, and it's entitled Typhoon. And it's based on a uh, short story or novella that I think was first published in 1903 by Joseph Conrad. And it features Frank Lovejoy and Paul Fries. And this is a really good story. Now, this is more of a character study, although it does get exciting. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about it on the other side. Here we go from July the 28th, 1947. This is Escape. And the name of this episode is Typhoon. Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations presents Escape, a new series of programs of which this, the fourth, is Typhoon by Joseph Conrad, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Of all the great authors who wrote of the sea, none so captured the wonder and the horror of it as did Joseph Conrad. Tonight, we escape to the China Seas in his great story, Typhoon, told in the words of a certain Mr. Jukes, chief mate of the China coast steamer Nan Shan, a young man of very remarkable perceptions. I've been sailing the China Sea long enough to see some strange and terrible things, but nothing as bad as that was. Why, God himself forgot us, and the whole blinking universe set out to do us in that night. It was the... Oh, but that comes later. I guess you can't really understand what happened on board the Nanshan without knowing something about our skipper, Captain McWhir. Stupid McWhir, I called him. And after sailing with him for three years, I ought to know what I'm talking about. Why, I tagged him right off. First day he came aboard to take command. In Liverpool it was. And Mr. Sakes, who was one of the owners, was showing him around the deck. There's no more modern ship afloat. I might say again that you've come to us very highly recommended, Captain McQuarr. We've a great deal of confidence in you. Uh-huh. Thank you, Mr. Sakes. She's a brand new ship and a good ship. There's no reason why you shouldn't continue in command of her as long as you like. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's fine. She'll be the smartest thing afloat in the China trade. Why, <laughs> she's put together like a Swiss watch. Precision built from stem to stern. Wait, the... uh, just a minute, Mr. Sings. What is it? That lock. Uh, lock? Uh, what lock? Here, on the cabin door. What about it? You'll notice how it's been set in the frame, somewhat cocked at an angle. The ship starts rolling a bit, and the first thing you know, it snaps open and leaves the door swinging. It really should be fixed, Mr. Siggs. That's Captain McWhir, 
the best berth he'd ever had. New command, a brand new ship. When instead of pinching himself to see if he's awake, he complains about a lock on the cabin door. See what I mean? Captain McWhirl, I I see what you mean. I'll have it attended to right away. I I think you'll do all right. Thank you, Mr. Sibbs. Well, everybody knows what the China coast is. You haul out of Bangkok for a quick run up to Singapore and then shove off for Hong Kong. Two days ashore, and you do it all over again. Three years of it. Three years of heat, smells, weather, copra, silk, and tea. Along in there somewhere, the owners decided to transfer the ship's registry to the Siamese flag. Don't ask me why. They just did, that's all. Anyway, I can tell you I didn't like it. When you grow up under the Union Jack, you'll figure to go on sailing under it. Not that the skipper, of course, could understand that kind of a feeling. Oh, no. Not old stupid McWhirk. Aye? What is that, Mr. Jukes? They uh, just sent the new flag out from shore, sir. Here it is. Oh, fine, fine. Unroll it. Let's have a look. Ah, yes. In my opinion, sir... It's a queer kind of flag for a man to sail under. Oh? And what's the matter with it? Well, it, uh, just looks queer to me, that's all. Well, now, let's see. A white elephant on a red field. Oh, just a minute. I'll look it up in the book. Hmm. Yeah, here we are. Siam. White elephant on a field of bright red. Length exactly twice the breadth. So. Oh, there's nothing wrong with this flag, Mr. Jukes. Oh, isn't there? Not a thing. I hardly thought there could be. After all, these people ought to know how to make their own flag. It stands to reason. Does it now? You must have it confused with some other flag, Mr. Jukes. Well, all I can say is... Of course, you'll have to take care of the seamen don't hoist the elephant upside down. That is, before they're quite used to it. I... I presume it might be taken for a signal of distress. And in that case, uh, well, the way I see it, that elephant stands for something like the nature of a Union Jack in the British flag. Oh, you think so? Well, it's like a bloomin' Noah's Ark, that's what it is. Mr. Jukes. I'm sorry, sir. I can't see where the color of a flag could anywise affect the navigation of a ship. I... Uh... All right, sir, I'll instruct the hands. It'd certainly be a most distressful sight to see that elephant hoisted upside down. Well, that was Captain McWhirr. Couldn't get a thing through his head if you drew him a picture. And that's the skipper we had to sail under on the maddest, wildest trip that any coaster ever took. We were loading out in Singapore. Half the cargo had already come aboard. The sun was blazing and the smoke from our stacks hung over the decks like a blanket. The Nanshan's winches puffed away aft. The cargo chains creaked and clattered across the combings. I was in the waist supervising the loading when Mr. Rout, the chief engineer, came up. Hey there, Jukes. What's going on down there on the dock? Looks like a blooming army. Well, I don't know, Mr. Rout. Must be a mob of coolies on the move. Uh, here comes the captain. Could be some of his doing. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. Keep the port between deck clear of cargo. There'll be 200 coolies coming aboard, and we'll plan to bunk them down there. Good Lord, where are they bound? Poo Chow. We'll have to put in there this trip. 
Yeah, but we're not fixed to handle passengers, sir. Oh, they'll bring supplies aboard with them. Every man's got a comfort wood chest, so you'll have to nail deck buttons down there to keep them from sliding. Yes, sir, I'll see to it. I've all been working on a plantation north somewhere. Two-year contract. They're dying to get home. It wouldn't have been quite right to turn them down. You may as well start them coming aboard, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. Ollie number one, boy, Ollie same. Listen, you savvy, huh? Ollie fellow, catch him here, topside, catch him, step, step, bottom side, Ollie time, chop, chop. Single file now, one fellow, one time, all the time. What do you suppose they carry in those boxes? Oh, I suppose their personal belongings, Mr. Jukes. And, of course, their two years' pay in silver dollars. Well, they're as vicious a looking bunch of murderers as I've ever seen. Murderers? Oh, come now, Mr. Jukes. One or two of them, maybe. But in the main, I'd say they're honest workmen. Have to be to stick out a two-year contract on one of these plantations. Just the same, sir. We'd better not take any chances. Oh, I checked the lading weights carefully, Mr. Jukes. We can carry them without any overloading at all. I mean that... All right, sir. I'd better go hide the silverware in the officer's mess. Mm. He's a hard lad to understand sometimes. I could say I had a premonition right then, and I wouldn't be lying. Anyway, that's how it started. At the hottest time of the year, 200 half-civilized coolies aboard, a captain with no more imagination than you could stick in your ear, we steamed out from Singapore and laid a course for the port of Fu Chau. Jukes, I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. Well, what don't you like about it, Mr. Rowe? Well, the looks of things. Something ominous about it. Oh, there's a bit of a swell running all right. There's not a breath of wind. It's uncommonly hot, that's all. It gives a man the jumps. <laughs> You're as bad as the second mate. He's been groaning around like the voice of doom all day. Well, uh, Mr. I don't Jukes. Know. Mr. Jukes! Oh, that's the old man. I'll see you later. Uh, keep your steam up, Mr. Rowe. Calling me, Captain? I was, Mr. Jukes. Uh, what was all the long conversation with Mr. Rout? Oh, I, why, nothing much, sir. I, I didn't see any harm in talking a bit. I'm not on watch, you know. Oh, no, no, nothing wrong with it, nothing at all. I just wondered what you could find to talk about. Well, uh, different things, I don't know. I've seen people on shore sit around the table and talk for two or three hours. I never could understand it. It's just conversation, that's all, about nothing in particular. Seems pretty silly. Well, you've noticed the barometer, no doubt? Yes, sir, it's dropping. Falling fast. Quite low now. Take a look. I'll say it's dropping. Bad time of the year for that sort of thing. Very bad. Anything you want me to do, sir? Oh, no, no. Must be some uncommonly dirty weather knocking about somewhere. Hey, Mr. Jukes? Yes, sir. Well, that's all. Just thought you ought to know about it, that's all. Uh, carry on, sir, carry on. Oh, there's a heavy one, all right, mate. Uh, 
Them coolies must be having a time of it down below. Lucky for them, the old girl rolls easier than any ship I've ever seen. Hey, you just wait. Oh, you think we may be in for it, huh? Oh, no. I don't think anything. You're not going to make a fool out of me that way, Mr. Jukes. I didn't say a word. What's the matter with you, Second? Why shouldn't you say what you think if you're a mind? Oh, uh, no, you don't catch me. Whoa, there's another one. That's pretty rough. Now, whatever is about, we're steaming right into it. <laughs> you just try telling the old man that. And why shouldn't I? Matter of fact, I think I'll ask him about this cross swell. It's getting worse all the time. I've known skippers to break some right good men for saying a whole lot less. Uh, Captain McQuarrie. Ah, uh, yes, Mr. Jukes. What is it? Swell is getting a good deal worse, sir. Yes, I noticed that in here. Anything wrong? Well, I, uh, I was thinking about the passengers. Huh? What passengers? Why, the coolies, sir. Then if you mean coolies, say coolies, Mr. Jukes. A man ought to say what he means. What about the coolies? She's rolling her decks full of water, sir. I thought you might want to put her head at the swell for a bit, until this goes down, of course. Hmm, so that's it, eh? Put her head at the swell, four points off the course. Well, it's just for a while, sir. A swell as high as this can't last long. That stands to reason. Mr. Jukes, take a look at the barometer. Good Lord. Yes, exactly. It's a dead calm outside, isn't it? There's not a breath of air stirring, sir. One of that cross swell. I've been reading in the book here about storms. Funny thing. If a man believed everything written down here, he'd spend half his life running to get behind the weather. If I was to go by what this fellow says, I'd alter my course and come booming into Fuchau from the north. Four days late, 300 extra miles in distance, and a pretty bill for coal on top of it. Tell you, Mr. Jukes, if I knew every word in here was gospel true, I couldn't bring myself to do that. No, sir, I guess not. And how's a man to know if the book is right? If you dodge around a spot of dusty weather, how do you ever find out it was there in the first place? Answer me that. No, Mr. Jukes, there's things that a man can't get from books. I've thought it all out this afternoon. We'll hold her steady as she goes. Whatever you say, sir, you're the captain. I guess I'd better write up the log. I'm going on watch. Good. I dare say we're heading into something a bit out of the ordinary. Call me at once if anything shows up in the night, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. I'll see to it. And, uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. If you're going into the chart room, please close that blinking door. I can't stand here a door banging. Yes, sir. 8 p.m. Swell increasing. Ship laboring heavily and taking water on all decks. Still a dead calm and very hot. Batten down the coolies for the night. The barometer is still falling. All appearances indicate an approaching typhoon. All right, Hackett, hold her steady as she goes. That's all we can do. Hi, sir. I'll sure try to. Well, do the best you can. Hi, hi, sir. Hi, Captain, I'm coming. Stand by. Over here, Mr. Dukes. Starboard the trail. Right, sir. Coming over. Uh, Mr. Dukes, why didn't you call me? Well, there was no warning, sir. It is all of a sudden, about five minutes ago, blasted right out of a dead calm. Mm, the book was right in some parts, anyhow. How's it going in the wheelhouse? Hackett is... Look out, sir. Hang on. Oh. Uh, 
What about Hackett? He's on the wheel. Second is putting up shutters. The window glass will go if she starts breaking any higher. Oh, she'll break higher, Mr. Jukes. What's higher? It's a happy thought. You have no other course? No, sir. Heading straight at the wind. Good. Nothing else we can do, Mr. Jukes. Understand? Yes, sir. Some things a man can't find in books. Just keep it at it. That's all. Like this, you're bound to leave something behind. Can't you reason? Hold hard. Ah. She's still rising, all right. That one broke over the wheelhouse. We're done for, for sure. What's that, Mr. Jukes? You say something? I said. Is there any chance at all, sir? Can she live through it? She may. We can hope so long, at least. She's a good ship. That's all a man can ask. What's that? Somebody yelling? Below us on the foredeck, sir. Up here, starboard bridge. Man shouldn't be on that deck unless he has to. It's a bit dangerous. Yes, sir. Over here. What's the trouble, bosun? In Chinese, sir. Hey, hang on. The Chinese. What about them? They've all fetched away, sir. One big lump. It's horrible. Yeah, now what do you mean, patched away? Rolling around in the hold in one big lump, screaming like blooming maniacs, sir. All a drip. Mr. Dukes? Yes, sir. I can't make head nor tail of this. I guess you'd better go below and see to it. Put things in order. Well, well, what shall I do, sir? I can't tell you up here. Find out what's wrong. Straighten it out. That's all. That's all. Take the bosun with you. I'm going to try for the wheelhouse. All right, sir. Come on, Bosun. Aye, sir. Just straighten it out. That's all. Well, how's the wheel stand, Haggard? As steady as she goes, sir. You realize, of course, we've hit a typhoon? Aye, sir. Sorry I can't give you relief. Can you manage a while longer? I'll hold her to the course, sir. As long as there's a ship beneath her. Yeah, that won't be long. Oh, anything wrong, second? Wrong! We're all as good as dead men, that's what's wrong. Oh, now, I wouldn't say that. She's still afloat. Ah. And we've got it lucky here on deck. Plenty of chance to see what's coming before it hits us. A man always feels better when he can see what's coming. But it's a different story down below there. Not having knowledge of what's going on. Not knowing if we're afloat or sinking. Now, there's the lads that's got it tough. The ones down there in the engine room. Steam to drop. Here, ride that throttle, Field. Can't let her rip her shaft out when she breaks clear of those swells. Hello, Bridge. Hello, Bridge. Confound it, why don't they answer the speaking to them? Can't tell if they're dead or alive up there. Hello. Hello. Yes, Mr. Rouse. Captain, how is it on deck? Bad enough. It depends mostly on you. Well, so far, so good. We're holding a full head of steam. Good. We'll need it. Don't let me drive her under, sir. Have to take a chance. Can't see 
Uh, Mr. Jukes, that barometer in there stands at the lowest point I've ever seen a glass in my life. You mean there'll be more of it? The worst yet, according to the book. It'll break sudden now. Any minute. A puff or two of wind, and then it hits. She's taken a horrible beating, sir. She has indeed. And she's in for a worse one. We haven't much chance, have we, sir? She may come through it. She's a good ship. There's the first puff. Mm, it'll hit us hard when it comes. You left them pretty safe, did you? The coolies? We strung lifelines, gives them something to hold on to. Good. I'd like to give them all the chance we can, whatever happens. Oh, they'll be all right, sir. I broke out rifles. Parade of the crew, put them to guarding all the companionways, leading off the team deck. You armed the crew, Mr. Jukes? Oh, sure. We won't have any trouble with them now, sir. Mr. Jukes, please have those rifles returned to the magazines at once. What? There'll be work for every man aboard in a few minutes. I can't spare seamen to stand around and hold rifles when it isn't necessary. Isn't necessary? Don't you realize those savages will think we stole their money? But they'll tear us to bits if they ever get out of that deck. Oh, I think they'll understand we're dealing fair by them. Collect the rifles, Mr. Jukes. Captain, it's suicide. The best thing we can do is turn the whole mess over to the authorities and food chow. If we ever get there. Well, I don't know. I figure that when anything happens on shipboard, it's up to me to settle it on shipboard. Part of the duties of commanding a vessel, Mr. Jukes. I've no doubt I'll be able to reach an understanding with these men later. Understanding? You ought to have seen him a while ago when me and the bosun was down there. Lost their heads a bit, I guess. No wonder at that one. Here she comes. Pick up those rifles, Mr. Jukes, and something else. Yes, Captain. If anything happens to me, you'll be in charge. Only advice, keep her facing it. Best way to get through, facing it. That's enough for any man. All right, Captain, I'll remember. But one thing more, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Something that always helps at sea is to keep a cool head. Just keep a cool head. Oh, no, keep a cool head. A stitch in time saves nine a rolling stone. What in the name of heaven do you do with a man like that? It was a clear blue sky and bright sunshine the morning we steamed into Fuchow Harbor. Mr. Rout was leaning on a hatch combing, smoking a pipe. The bosun lounged on the foredeck, waiting to pick up a line from the wharf. And the captain? Well, he was engaged in the most unusual occupation. Keep moving. He was sitting at a table on the foredeck, handing out silver dollars to them blinking coolies. All divided up even, the same amount to each one. Craziest thing you ever heard of in your life. You see, the way the captain figured it, since those blighters had all worked for two years at the same rate of pay, then their savings ought to all be about equal. As you can see, of course, that wasn't necessarily true by any means. wasn't even legal. But you couldn't tell him anything. Well, that's that. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Coming, Captain. Well, Mr. Jukes, I've disposed of our little collection of silver dollars. Now, that's great. Only wait till those boys get ashore and file claims against us. Oh, no, they won't do that. As a matter of fact, they were quite pleased at having it arranged that way. Figured it might avoid a lot of arguments later. They, uh, they sent a spokesman to thank me. Well, I'll be... Mr. Dukes, you may as well give all the hands six hours leave before we start work in the cargo. Whatever you say, Captain. Oh, yes, and uh, before the carpenter leaves, I wish you'd have him fix the lock on that port cabin door. What? 
That seems to have got broken somehow. During the storm, I suppose. I, I can't stand to hear the door banging, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. I, um... I don't suppose it matters that the ship is battered from stem to stern, half her topside carried away, and smashed till she looks like a blooming Tinson freighter. Mr. Jukes, I don't understand you. You don't understand me, sir? Do you understand that we've come through the worst typhoon on the China Seas in 20 years with the only ship that got through? It's true. I suppose we were a bit lucky. Lucky, sir? With 200 murdering cutthroats running loose aboard and the very heavens doing their worst? We had a job to do and we did it. That's all, Mr. Jukes. That's the important thing. Yes, sir. That's, uh, that's all. That's all, he says. A job to do. A bit lucky. What can you do with a man as thick as that? But then, as I started to turn away, Captain McWhorus said something else that surprised me. With emotion wrung from the very bottom of his soul, he, he uttered words I never thought I'd hear coming from so, so stupid a man. But I'm glad we brought her through, Mr. Jukes. Truly I am. She's a good ship, Mr. Jukes. A good ship. I should have hated to lose her. I, I should have hated to lose her. Typhoon by Joseph Conrad was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and produced and directed by William N. Robeson, with Frank Lovejoy as Jukes, Raymond Lawrence as Captain McQuarrie, and Cy Kendall as Ralph the Engineer. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fewer. Escape is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations each week at this time. Next week, we invite you to escape to Paris of 500 years ago in Robert Louis Stevenson's story of a fascinating adventure, The Sire de Maltois Door. And so, good night until next week at this time, when again it will be time to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. been listening to Escape, and that uh, episode was first broadcast back on July 28th in 1947, and that was based on a 1903 novella by Joseph Conrad. The subject of uh, the Chinese working as basically slave labor was a common problem around the world back around the turn of that century. I've got a quote here from the University of Minnesota, a paper that was published on uh, June 16, 2015, and just paraphrasing it, it says the coolie trade referred to the importation of Asian contract laborers, especially Chinese and Indians, under force or deception during the 19th century. It emerged during the gradual abolition of slavery in the early 19th century, though that was African slavery, and coolies were exploited as substitutes for slave labor. The British were the first to experiment when they imported 200 Chinese to Trinidad in 1806, basically to work on sugar plantations. While Indian coolies were mainly transported inside British colonies, 250,000 to 500,000 Chinese coolies 
were imported between 1847 and 1874 to various British, French, Dutch, and Spanish colonies in the Americas, in Africa, and in Southeast Asia. During this 27-year period, about 125,000 Chinese coolies were sent to Cuba. They were predominantly men from southern China exported via Macau. Coolies worked and lived no better than slaves. They generally had insufficient food. They lacked medical care that had been promised to them. They had to work long hours, and they even suffered physical torture. The merciless coolie trade caused a scandal in contemporary international media and was criticized as a new form of slavery. In 1855, England basically backed out of the coolie trade. In 1856, Peru followed suit, made it illegal. In 1862, the United States banned the coolie trade in a law issued by President Lincoln. And around 1874, the Portuguese also ended the coolie trade. I remember Gunsmoke. We had an episode about this called The Q. You might look it up, but uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Chinese immigrants and really how they were viewed and how they were treated. You might have wondered... Uh, this was a steamship they were on here in this uh, story, Typhoon. Have you ever wondered when steamships took over for sailing ships? I looked this up. Uh, yes, I did. During the latter part of the 19th century, large sailing ships almost uh, became completely extinct as steam power took over. On early steamships, the steam engine turned paddle wheels that moved the ship along, but by the 1850s, most ships were using propellers, which were first uh, fitted on a steamship in 1839. And then just a final note about these two main characters in the story, Captain McWhir and Juke. Uh, this was a very interesting character study, and didn't you think at first that McWhir was going to be just a really horrible captain, a horrible man? And didn't you think when he brought the Chinese on board, he was doing it for his own profit? I did. But it really was an interesting story. And it showed the contrast between the two men. Just for instance, the argument they had over the flag, uh, flying the, the, the Siamese flag. When Juke complained about the Siamese flag being inappropriate, uh, McWhir decided to get out the signal code book. And he found that the flag was uh, exactly twice the breadth. No, he said the length was twice the breadth, and the elephant on the flag was exactly in the middle. So he said that the flag was totally appropriate. He said stands to reason that the people ashore would know how to make their own flag. But for Jukes, of course, the question about the appropriateness of the Siamese flag had nothing to do with if the flag was the right size, the right color, was, was decorated correctly. No, he was worried about the appropriateness of uh, sailing an English ship under a Siamese flag. What a difference in personalities. It's like, uh, you know, Jukes was from Mars and the captain was from Venus. Just totally different types of men, yet put together under those very, very stressful circumstances. I know that um, with the accents and all of the activity going on, it was a little difficult to understand exactly what was being said. But at the end, the captain wanted to make sure that each of the Chinese 
and they were passengers. They weren't being held there as prisoners, and they were glad to be on the boat because they were going home. He wanted to make sure that each of them received their pay. Each of them had carried on board with them a small wooden chest which contained silver dollars, which was the money that they had earned. What a great story. And that was uh, Joseph Conrad, and the majority of his writings were based on experiences he had as a young man at sea. Sailors, stop your roaming. Clark with a 1961 English translation of a German song that was also big in this country by a German singer named Lolita. And the German version reached number five on the American music chart. Of the top 100, it reached number five, which was the highest uh, a foreign language song reached until I think Sukiyaki came out a short time later. Imagine that. What's that, Chester? Austrian? Lolita was Austrian. Chester tells me 
Lolita was not German. She was Austrian. She was from Vienna? Okay. I did not know that. Well, anyway, Petula Clark then did an English version a year later, and it was number one in the UK and also uh, got on the charts here. I don't know exactly how high it climbed. All right. I'm ready for a little comedy. How about you? Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, for our comedy corner this week, we're going back to December 6, 1947. And this is the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show. And their special guests are Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. Here it comes. The makers of Royal Puddings and Chase and Sanborn Coffee bring you the Charlie McCarthy Show. This is Ken Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you from Claremont Men's College, Claremont, California. On behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Stern, Pat Patrick as Ursula Twing, Jack Mather, and our special guests, Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers. And here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. And the Claremont. Yeah. Well, Charlie? Yeah. Oh, you frightened me, Bergen. You really gave me quite a stir. Good. Don't ever sneak up on me like that. No, all right, I won't. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know, Charlie. I didn't know you were so high strung. Oh, I am, Bergen, really. I am. I am I am just a bundle of nerves. Is that so? Yes. Not just plain nerves, but twitching nerves. Is that so? <laughs> just a mess of nerves. <laughs> There I go again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what brought all this on? Uh, undoubtedly overwork, Mr. Bergen. Overwork? Yes, sir. My poor little brain. It's just always, you know, it's just always ticking, ticking, ticking. Yeah, yeah. Schoolwork, homework, tests, examination. I tell you, Bergen, it's driving me mad. Yeah. Really, utterly mad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Charlie, but remember, hard work never killed anyone. No, but there's no use taking any chances. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor little brain just can't take it. It's muscle-bound from something. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is the trouble? Well, I got a, I got a, a physiology test tomorrow. Yes. Messy things, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's all about the brain and the nervous system, you see? Yes. Oh, yes. Very technical. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, no, 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 no. There ought to be one down there. No. Well, now suppose you tell me what you know about the brain. 
Well, the brain. Yes. Uh, my brain is bounded on the north by hair. Yeah. On the east and west by ears, and on the south by me. I see. <laughs> well, that's quite good. Yeah. If you really are interested, Charlie, in, in passing this test, I'll be glad to help you. Oh, you are good. Yeah. Now, now let's take the divisions of the brain. All right, we will. Yes. And if you won't mind, I, I will use uh, some technical terms. Please do. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've read up on this stuff myself a little, you know. Oh, good. Oh, yes, yes. I'm not illiterate. No, no. <laughs> uh, now, the brain is divided into three parts. Uh-huh. Cerebrum, cerebellum, and the modella oblongata. Uh-huh. Now, what are they? Uh, hmm? <laughs> I say, what are they? Well, you, you just said them. Yes, I know. I want you to tell me what they are. Weren't you listening? <laughs> I repeat, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the medulla oblongata. Uh -huh. Now, what are they? That's the cereal, the silly belly, and uh, the oblong alligator. No, no, no. Am I warm? No, you're not even warm. They're Latin words. Make it a Latin alligator. No, no. no. <laughs> I thought you'd read books on the subject. Well, I say books. It, it wasn't a very fat book. It didn't cover it thoroughly. I see. Tell the truth, it was more of a pamphlet. A pamphlet? Yes. How thick? Oh, I'd say around one page. Around one page. <laughs> was it Hefflinger's treatise on uh, psychoneurology? Not Hefflinger's, no, no. No, I don't think it was. Well, just what was it? Well, if you must know, it was on the back of an iodine bottle. On the back of an iodine bottle. <laughs> Just as I thought, you know nothing whatsoever about the subject. I think that sums it up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very well, now let's take the Latin word cerebellum. All right. Let's break it down. Oh, good. Yeah. Let's pull the legs off first. Now, wait. <laughs> now, first of all, first of all, what does Sarah mean to you? Nothing, really. <laughs> She's hardly more than a good friend. <laughs> but a lovable kid. All right. Now, what about Bellum? She came in with Sarah. All right. <laughs> I can see I'll have to give you a simple illustration of how the brain works. Well, you got the brain to do it, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> now... <laughs> those little nasty digs. All right. <laughs> now, let us take an example. Let's do. Now, suppose, let us say, uh, let us say, I want to move my arm. Oh, let's say that, yes. <laughs> oh, what mad fun. All right. <laughs> All right. I want to move my arm, and lo and behold, it moves. It did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're so clever. Do you tie your own shoelaces, too? <laughs> now, that was an example of a voluntary action. Now, I'll give you an example of an in involuntary action. Well, you can't pronounce it almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suppose I put your hand on a hot stove. Oh, no, you don't. No, well, all right. I'll put my hand on a hot stove. That I like. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'll put it another way. Put it in the stove. No, way. <laughs> 
You're standing on a railroad track and a train is coming along. What do you do? I get off the track. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, that's a fine thing. First you try to burn my hand and now you try to throw me under a train. Help, murder! Help, Certainly glad to see you. Well, I really am. Oh, yeah. I hate to say this, but you got awful poor taste. Yeah. I, I notice you've been reading a book here a lot lately. Um, are you coming to the end of it? Well, I'm almost at the beginning now. I see. Well, may I see the book? Uh, right here it is, Mr. Bergen. Yeah. Why, this is a diary. Yeah. Why, it's the one I gave you last New Year's. Yeah, that's right. Same book, yeah. And you haven't written a thing in it. No. Well, how can you read a book that has no reading matter in it? Well, it ain't easy. No, I... <laughs> Didn't you realize that it, it wasn't a storybook? Well, I thought the plots was kind of weak in them. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Mortimer, a diary is a personal journal or a memorandum of one's thoughts, activities, and achievements useful in later years in recalling nostalgic images of the past. No. I'll, uh, I'll show you how to keep your diary. Thank you, yes. Now, we'll start with today. All right. Yeah. Now, what was the first thing you did this morning? Oh, let's see now. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I, I woke up. You woke up. <laughs> I see. Bill. Yeah. Or was that yesterday? No. <laughs> All right. Now, what did you do after you woke up? I watched the sun come up. You watched the sun come up? Yeah. Well, that didn't take long. Yeah, it took all morning. All morning. <laughs> I was looking the wrong way. Oh, I... <laughs> well, that's too bad. And then what did you do this afternoon? Well, I was, um... We'll see this afternoon. I, um... We'll see no words. <laughs> Boom de boom boom boom. Uh, what was the question? What was the question? Uh, you certainly have a poor memory. Well, poor but honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember I sat in a phone booth. Oh, you sat in a phone booth, uh huh? Had a lot of calls to make. Well, I just wanted to be there in case somebody called me. Oh, I see. Now, did you do anything worthwhile today? Well, yeah, from two to four, I was real busy. Uh-huh. Watching a bug. Watching a bug. <laughs> I like to watch bugs, yeah. And what was the bug doing? Oh, watching me. Watching me. <laughs> well, so far you've done nothing worth recording in your diary. Now, what do you do the rest of the day? Well, from then on, I'm afraid I just wasted my time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're utterly ridiculous. Today, I'm not going to ask you what makes you so stupid. Oh, no? No. What's the matter? Are you, are you losing interest in me? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> hey, uh, Edgar, 
what's the idea of the cowboy out? Well, I'm dressed this way because we're expecting Roy Rogers. Lucky we're not expecting Lady Godiva. <laughs> what was that? My what was that? Who knew her? Well, I'm awful sorry, folks, but my 45 was leaking it. Oh, I see. Uh... <laughs> Hiya, Roy. Well, howdy, Charlie. How are you? <laughs> Glad to welcome the king of the cowboys. Oh, rather, yes. You'll forgive me for not curtsying, you see, but I have a Charles horse in my leg. <laughs> now, don't make so much fuss, folks. You know how honest I am. Well, uh, now, where do I plug in my neon pants? Yeah, oh, my goodness, yeah. Roy, how do you like my new outfit? Don't you think I'm wild and woolly? Well, you might be wild, but with such a high forehead, I doubt if you'll ever be woolly. Well, <laughs> Well, there might be something in that. Roy, yeah, I sure envy you being a famous cow catcher. I don't mind. Oh, shucks, Charlie, anybody can be a movie cowboy. Uh, a girl can't, you know. Oh. <laughs> Charlie, you've got the easy job. You never get thrown from a microphone. No, have you ever tried to stay on top of a hooper? <laughs> I say, Mr. Rogers, uh, tell me, how can a person become successful in these uh, Western cinemas? Well, for one thing, you have to have a smart horse like Trigger. Oh, yeah? He can count up to 20. Oh, that's remarkable, you know. No toes, either. <laughs> <laughs> Trigger can do just about anything but talk. Well, Bergen can arrange that, too. <laughs> Kidding aside, I wish I were in your boots. So do I. My feet are killing me. Oh, I... <laughs> now, I mean, uh, you picture cowboys have a cinch, I think. Oh, you think it's easy, huh? Well, yeah. Well, it's pretty rugged out on picture locations. You know, we even sleep out at night. Yeah? Well, they don't come too rugged for me. I'm an old cow hand from Chasing Sand. Let's get going, partner, huh? <laughs> But it certainly is nice out here under these stars. Yeah, but, 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 it, but it's cold out here. Well, move closer to the campfire. If I move any closer, I'll be the campfire. <laughs> what in the world is that stuff? Well, that's the coyote's mating call. Mating call? Sure sounds like they hate to get married, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, Roy, how about playing on your guitar, huh? Well, uh, how would you like to hear me sing a song? Well, uh... Well, I'll sing it anyway. That is, if the Sons of the Pioneers will help me out. Okay. Loaded pistol and loaded dice. Take my warning or pay the price. Cause it ain't healthy to try it twice. Loaded pistol and loaded dice. Now, Trigger Johnson was a gambling cub. Who went and joined the Western Social Club Where shooting dice was everybody's whim It seemed they favored everyone but him Loaded pistol and loaded dice Take my warning or pay the price Cause it ain't healthy to try it twice Loaded pistol and loaded dice Oh, <laughs> 
the Sharpies, they were taking him for fair. He said, I know this game ain't on the square. I mean, them loaded dice ain't gonna do. Cause I've got something here that's loaded too. Loaded pistol and loaded dice. Take my warning or pay the price. Cause it ain't healthy to try and find. Loaded pistol and loaded dice. Boys, it's time to go to sleep. Uh, We've got to be on the set early, and it's 12.30 now. Yeah, good night, Roy. Good night, Roy. Good night, Roy. Good night Roy. Roy. See you in the morning. Oh, I'm so sleepy. Good old sleeping bag. Uh, oh, this is the life for me. Oh, good night, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up, Charlie. Wake up. It's 3 o'clock. Uh, say, the nights are getting shorter, ain't they? <laughs> well, we start shooting early at Republic. Oh, who's the director, an owl? Well, we've got a lot of soon scenes to shoot today. Yeah, well, do we have to sneak up on them in the dark? Dark? Why, that's daylight coming through over yonder. Yeah, well, let's crawl back in the sack before the darn stuff gets all over us. <laughs> I... I say, chaps, we're being surrounded by Indians. Indians? Oh, they got bows and arrows. <laughs> Uh-oh. How do I get out of here? Just follow that arrow. <laughs> What's the matter, Charlie? Oh, he shot an arrow into the air and he punctured me. I can't stay where. Are you really hit? Yeah. Got me right in a luggage carrier. Hey, watch me with my 45. I'll scare him. Hey, Mr. Rogers, please, can't you make these redskins bite the dust or something? It's a little early in the season. I reckon they're not biting yet. <laughs> Hold them fire. Hold them fire. Jigger, Jigger's the cheapest coming here. Me want them powwow. Well, tell them we're all out of pow. <laughs> uh, excuse me, your redskin ship, but... Uh... <laughs> are you, uh, are you Mo Harvey? No, me, Jack Harvey. <laughs> Mo, him selling blankets. Why Indians not get job this picture? Because the script doesn't call for any Indians. Pretty flimsy excuse. Ah, uh, go sit on a feather. You keep nose out of this small-sized totem pole. But uh, let me explain, Chief. We got no time now, pale puss. We got to go now and collect them unemployment checks. Come, please. <laughs> Got rid of him, Roy, didn't we? Senior Rogers, I am ready to rehearse my lines, I think. Say, who is this little prairie chicken? <laughs> Tell me my Claremont enchilada. <laughs> what about a little smooching? Senor, what is smooching? Oh, you don't know. Oh, putty, putty, putty. <laughs> Go away. I want to putty with Mr. Rogers. He is so pretty. Oh, shucks, ma'am. I ain't pretty. 
handsome, maybe, but uh, not pretty. I see you know which side your tortilla is buttered on. <laughs> oh, sigh, sigh, senor. Sigh, sigh. Folks, she ain't really Spanish. <laughs> it's the best we could do on short notice. <laughs> Maybe not real Spanish, but I can ride my Pinto pony more better than you. Yeah. Giddy up, old paintbrush. Imagine that, a pony with an outboard motor. I... <laughs> Look at this guy coming towards us now with a rope. What's he, what's he made up for? Well, you do a big scene with him. Yeah. You're going to be head and shoulders above everybody. Oh, good. He, he hanged you from a tree. Oh, goodbye. My friend. Friend? Friends, uh, my name is uh, Badman Twing. <laughs> yes, and, and I am a, a desperate character. Well, at least you're a character. Yes, thank you. Uh, in my hangings, friends, uh, I use only the finest grade of rope. It's real manilla. I don't care what flavor it is. I'm getting out of here. Well, there's no danger if you use the right kind of a knot. Oh, of course not. Uh, well, no, it's really a fine knot, but I... Uh, uh, Friends, I can give you a nice granny knot. Granny knot, yeah. Well, no, it isn't exactly a granny knot either because I learned it from my uncle. Uh, well, then it's an unky knot. Yeah. It's on my father's side. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I hope he's better now. Well, he had an appendectomy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I'm suppose... Not... Uh, please. Uh, just... Just wait your turn. Uh, my... Just suppose that I take and tie a peachy bow on you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I just slip it down over your head like so. Yeah. Now there, and the knot is tied, and I pronounce you man and wife. Hey, that was a wedding scene in another picture. Well, I'm glad you told me. I almost paid him two (laughs) dollars. Well, now, uh, to show you how it's done, I'll just throw the rope up over this, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, limb. Out on a limb. Charlie, there isn't anything to be afraid of. We have an actor named Herbie who, well, he's done it a lot of times. Well, why don't you let Herbie do it now? Uh, well, Herbie, uh, Herbie uh, isn't with us anymore. Oh, he isn't? And no, uh, someone, uh, someone gave a little jerk on the end of the rope and he lost his head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be the little jerk on the end of this rope. Goodbye, I Next Sunday, to Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Mortimer Snurd, Ray Noble, Anita Gordon, Pat Patrick, and their special guest, Gary Cooper. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, all of us want to do our best in every way to relieve the critical world food situation. By sharing our food, we can stave off starvation in Western Europe. Each of us can help in two simple ways. First, by eliminating the waste of foods in our home. Second, by choosing the foods that are most plentiful in local stores. By sharing a meal, we can help save a life.
when you're buying groceries, ask for oil puddings and Chase and Sanborn coffee. This is Ken Carpenter speaking to you from Claremont, California. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was the Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show as first heard on the 6th of December back in 1947. The guest was Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneer. Did you know that uh, Ken Fagan was one of the Sons of the Pioneers who later played Festus on the television version of, of Gunsmoke? Yeah, he had a deep, rich voice, beautiful voice. Roy Rogers, do you remember him when you were a kid? Did you used to uh, have Roy Rogers' six guns and and, uh, pictures of Trigger, Roy Rogers' lunchboxes? He was a big deal when we were kids. I remember the television show had uh, Pat Brady and his Jeep Nellie Bell. And, of course, their dog was Bullet. Dale Evans' dog, or uh, not dog, but her, uh, her horse was Buttermilk. Oh, yeah. Big Roy Rogers fan. I tell you, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy were just absolutely priceless. And rather than me talk about them, I'll tell you someone who really respected them, and that was Johnny Carson. And here's a clip of an appearance that Bergen made with uh, Mortimer Snurd back on, I think it was August the 3rd in uh, 1977. When they call the golden age of radio, the week would not go by where you would get in front of the set and listen to Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Do you remember sending away for things? Oh, by yes. You get the premiums. I sent away once sure. for the Charlie McCarthy plates and the Charlie McCarthy right. mugs. And uh, Edgar Bergen stands apart from, I think, Ben Philippus because Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd and Effie Klinker are all people. He was the first one to create that complete illusion. Nobody for years, there were people on radio who thought that Charlie McCarthy was, in fact... Mm-hmm an actual person, because he treats him like that. Uh, his career has spanned some 55 years in every entertainment medium, from vaudeville to radio to motion pictures to television to nightclubs. Particularly a great pleasure always to have Mr. Edgar Bergen here. Oh, well, isn't that nice, Neil? It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that audience. Look at their faces. They're, they're discouraging, ain't it? No, no. <laughs> well, Carson always did draw a low class of people. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I like their faces. Oh, you do? Yes, yes. They're very nice. Well, I think you should smile at them. <gasps> a little over here. <gasps> that ought to hold them. Yeah, I think, yeah. Could you project your personality all the way back up there in the balcony? You'll be from here. Yeah. I don't think so, no. Well, you can try it. (laughs) Not without my truss on. Oh, I see. (laughs) I might get a hernia. Yeah, yeah, you might. Yeah. Well, all right. 
And now for the ladies here, there's some pretty girls in the front row. I think, you know, you must be kind of warm, but more than that, you should be a little sexy. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know about that. I'm, 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 not, I'm not very, uh, oh, oh gosh, no, no. <laughs> I'm not sexy, you know, no, no. Good looking, maybe, but not sexy. Yeah, you don't have a girl. No, no, I don't have a girl. No, don't have the girl. <laughs> How many times have you been kissed? <laughs> you mean Calton girls? Yeah, where? <laughs> well, what else? Well, Grandpa used to kiss me goodnight. Oh, he did. Yeah. Well, there's no thrill in that. There ain't no, no, no thrill. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why you quit doing it. Yeah, I meant yeah. <laughs> Well, now, you see, they like you. Uh, don't you decide that they're pretty nice? They are. I kind of like them. You know, well, you're on the stage now. You, you've had experience in this sort of thing, haven't you, being on the stage? Well, I was, uh, I was in a school play once, you know. Oh, you were? Yes, I were, yes. Um, uh, me and another kid. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Did you speak your lines distinctly? Well, I didn't have to speak any lines. Oh, you acted in pantomime. Well, I wouldn't say that either, no. We acted inside a horse. Oh, inside a horse. <laughs> oh, one played the front end, you know, one played the back end of the horse. Yeah, you had the skin over you. Yeah, yeah. What part of the horse did you play? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played the part that doesn't smile very much. I see, yes. yes. They said you had to start at the bottom, you know. Oh, yes, I see. I see. Well, how did it go over? Well, pretty good until the finish and... Then we're supposed to gallop off the stage, you see. Yeah. And I stumbled, and uh, the horse came apart, I see. We ran off in two sections, in two sections. <laughs> first time the horse ever came in first and second in the same race, yeah. <clears throat> Did the audience insist on you coming out for a bow? No, they dared us to come out. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> well, I think maybe the farm is the best place for you. Yeah, yeah you're still there with Grandpa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a farm boy. Yes. Well, I'd like to come out to your place uh, maybe next week. Well, I'd like to have you sometime. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you get to your farm? Well, you, you can go out Highway 103, you know. Yes. For about uh, two miles, two miles, yeah. Well, one mile would be far enough. One mile, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why one mile? Well, it's the wrong road. Oh, I see. <clears throat> so, well, it's not easy to get there. No, I see. Well, we'll forget about it then. Yeah. What do you do on the farm? Well, there, there's always chores to do. Chores, yeah. Chores to do. You, like collect the eggs, I see. And uh, milk a cow. Milk a cow, yeah. I'm good at that. Oh, well, that's nice, yeah. Have a milking machine? No, I do it by hand. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I, I milk. I won a contest at this county fair. Oh, I milked a pail full in eight minutes. Well, that, that's pretty fast milking. Oh, boy, I'll tell you that's hitting on all four. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hitting on all four, yeah. I, 
I got a titter out of that. Yo. <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> yes, well, I'll come out next week. Well, you better not come out next week because I may have to be in court uh, for my neighbor, Mr. Jenkins. Oh, Mr. Jenkins, yeah, yeah. Uh, paper came the other day, a man had it, and Grandpa said it was a court to order. I see. Have you ever been served with a subpoena before? No, no. I don't care too much for them Italian dishes. No, I see. <laughs> well, of course, that means that Mr. Jenkins is having legal trouble. I, I imagine so, yeah. yeah. Do you know what that means, to have legal trouble? Well, there's something wrong with his uh, legal, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Jenkins doesn't have a legal. Well, there's your trouble right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when you go into court, you, you do know this, that when the judge comes in, you stand up. Well, do you know why? Well, I got his seat. No, 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 no. <laughs> he, he's a very important man, and he wears a black robe that shows his authority. See right through it, huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> He could wear a slip. He could wear a slip, yes, he could. Well, anyway, when the, the judge will ask you to come to the stand, uh, so if there's something you don't remember or you're not sure about, you say, I don't remember. Oh, that's nice to know. Yes, it is. So when the judge says, uh, are you Mr. Snurd? What do you say? I'll say, I don't remember. No, no, no. <laughs> you are a little stupid, aren't you? Uh, you notice it. Yes, I do, yeah, yeah. Haven't you any brains at all, Mortimer? Well, gee whiz, not with me, no, no, I see. How can you be so stupid? Well, I'll tell you. I got a fella helping me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to watch you work. You create the, the ultimate illusion. Uh with Mortimer and, uh, and Charlie and Effie Klinker. I've gotten a little bit sloppy now. I don't rehearse. You've got to vocalize and rehearse, and I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> How long after Charlie did Mortimer come along? Well, uh, I was in vaudeville for 10 years, and then I went to nightclubs. I killed off vaudeville. And, and, uh, and then I was playing nightclubs, playing the Waldorf, New York, Shapery in Chicago, and I was bringing out Charlie for encores, two or three encores, and doing the, more of the same thing, which right. wasn't good show business. You should give them a little something different. You know, in the old days, they'd come out carrying a ukulele. Of course, they couldn't play it, but it was a good come on. <laughs> uh, so I had to invent another dummy. So uh, uh, Mortimer came along uh, 10, 12 years after Charlie. I know the story. I've read practically everything about you since you were the reason that I attempted ventriloquism when I was in high school. And Never got too good at it, but it was a lot of fun. And I know that Charlie, you patterned after, I think, a, a Chicago Irish newsboy, if yeah, I remember the story. And you went and... and yeah, Lakeview High School. Gentleman in Chicago, I think it was, carved the original figure. Theodore Mack, yes. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then I played Chautauqua. No one knows what that is anywhere. Chautauqua and Lysium. <laughs> yeah. My first date was up in South Dakota, and my audience consisted of... Half of my audience was made up of Indians in blankets. And laugh? I thought they never would. <laughs> What's the worst, the smallest audience you ever played to? Well, the smallest was in Chautauqua. I played to one woman and a dog. <laughs> and halfway through my act, the dog walked out. <laughs> I don't 
know you were a youngster. I think you were in the... I don't even think you were in high school when you started. Like a lot of ventriloquists do, you start to mimic things, sounds, uh, voices, uh, yeah. impressions, and then the ventriloquism comes later. What yeah. was the first thing you, you mimicked? Well, uh, well, I started that in eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade in Decatur, Michigan, 1,100 people. And, uh, yeah, I get around. You have to move around if you're a <laughs> And uh, I mimicked birds and animals and people and... Uh, and it seemed to amuse my classmates. And one evening I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was doing a distant voice. Hello, George. Hello, Morgan. Hello, hello. Yeah, my mother went to the door to see who was outside. So, <clears throat> so I says, I've got something. So someone said, you're a ventriloquist. Well, I agreed with him because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> I looked it up and decided I was. Yeah. There was for years a kind of a myth that people were speaking from their their stomach remember yeah, that the yeah. guy out which is really not true you kind of put the voice there's near ventriloquism and then there's distant ventriloquism where you kind of put the yeah. voice further back in the throat but for years when i grew up i thought ventriloquism ventriloquists were speaking magically some way for their from their stomach or something well you do use your the stomach diaphragm muscles yeah, out, right. and i think uh, well like the difference with charlie is uh, difference between one two three four one two three four and then you put a little pressure on it and it becomes, one, two, three, four. <coughs> it doesn't come. <laughs> yeah. You and uh, in, in radio was interesting because that was a complete, and there were many people, I mentioned the introduction, that thought Charlie was actually a person, did they not? Oh, for three years I was answering those letters, yes. They were having an argument. Is it true that you talk for both of them? <laughs> <laughs> That's strange. He had his own secretary and his own stationery to answer. We even had Xerox letters for <laughs> him. I remember years ago that he had his own room at the house. I mean, I don't know yes, if it was a publicity yes. or not, but they would show Charlie's room and everything. Right. The, the illusion was complete. Oh, yes. Well, he'd leave his shoes and stockings on the floor. You know, he doesn't put them away. And then he had his desk there, a picture of Dorothy Lamour, and then a picture of W.C. Fields hanging by a string with a string around his neck. <laughs> Those were some of the great radio shows of all time. So you had W.C. Fields, Jack Barrymore was on the shows, and you would get the feuds going. Yes, yeah. Uh, with Charlie and all the, all the people. was good. At Charles Lawton. Yeah, he was fine. I think the classic was when Charles, he apologized for what he said last time he was on the show, and he said, I'll do more than that. I'll apologize for what I'm going to say today. <laughs> then the finish was, Mr. Lawton, is it true that you played the Hunchback of Notre Dame without any makeup? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great line. Uh, when... Ventriloquism, strangely, they've always said that ventriloquism basically, remember when they were talking about you, that you were a shy man, and you use Charlie and Mortimer to, to say things that they feel more comfortable saying than you would if you said them. Is there any truth to that? I mean, you can be... I, I uh, guess there, I hate to admit it, but I guess there, it certainly is, because I wish I could walk into a room and be accepted as readily as Charlie and Mortimer. I, I've tried it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm, I'm just dull. <laughs> I, I auditioned. Uh, I used to do magic and ventriloquism. Right. So did you. And right. I played an amateur night. And if you were good, you could stay Saturday and Sunday in Chicago and, and work with the pros. Five dollars a day, which is not bad, you know. And uh, so I was advertised as a ventriloquist and magician. And after the first show, the manager came back. He says, Bergen? I says, yes, sir. He says, cut out the magic and you can stay. So... That, I realized, then I was stuck with Charlie. So you retired the match. <laughs> what a nice person to be stuck with. Person, I never refer to Charlie as a, as a dummier figure. Charlie is real to me. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. And that was a couple of show business legends. Johnny Carson talking to Edgar Bergen. 
and that was back in August of, what did I say, 1977. that music means. That means it's time for us to travel back to the 1870s. We're going out on the western plains to Dodge City, Kansas. You know, at times they all drifted into Dodge City. The gamblers, the gunfighters, the buffalo hunters, the saddle bums, and the spoilers. It was the end of the road before they wandered off into the wilderness. It was a place to stop and take some pleasure. Some of them decided to live in Dodge City. For others, it was just a place to pass through. But for still others, it was a place to die. We are going back tonight to February 14th, 1953, for a very dramatic episode of Gunsmoke entitled Roundup. City entered the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
Is he heavy, Matt? Oh, somehow it was easier carrying him up to your office and back down, Doc. Where are you going to put me, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, well, on the couch here, I guess. You'll be all right there, Chester? Oh, yes, sir. This will be fine. Good. I'm sure sorry I'm so much trouble. Chester, next time, try to land on just one foot. Even if you break a leg. I know. A man's in a terrible fix when he sprains both ankles. He sure is, Doc. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know what you're going to do. You're going to stay right there on that couch, and you're going to sleep there, too. Maybe Doc and I'll bring you in something to eat every day or two. Oh, no. It's better than you deserve. I know. I've been saying over and over to myself, Chester, you fool, you. Well... The wages of sin, Chester. You were lucky to get off as easy as you did. The way I heard it. Uh, come on, Chester. Tell us what really happened. Huh? <laughs> but I did tell you. I was uh, looking out this second-story window, admiring the view, so to speak. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I fell. That's all right onto the street. He didn't say whose window, Chester. In Texas, doctor, a gentleman don't mention such things. You ain't in Texas, well, sometimes we should never laugh. <laughs> like now? Yes, like now. <laughs> Many a reputation's been ruined by just such loose talk that you're making, Doc. Never mind, Doc Chester. He's jealous, that's all. Oh, jealous? Uh, putting tracks in a man's yard? <laughs> Not me. Not by a long side. Why, no, sir. I... Oh. <clears throat> good morning, Marshal. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Well, there's Chester. <laughs> Heard about you, Chester. I heard Never you... mind what you heard, Torp. Chester just got thrown from a horse, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all mind. right. What is it you want here, gentlemen? Yeah. All right, you tell him, Summers. Well, Marshal, it's about tomorrow night. Oh? So what about tomorrow night? Well, you know, it's the roundup. The sales season's over. There'll be a thousand cowboys celebrating in Dodge. Well, they always do at the end of the season. What about it? Well, there's going to be more of them this year, and there'll be a lot of homesteaders in town, too. It's going to be worse than ever. Well, I expect that. There could be a lot of trouble, Marshal. <laughs> yeah, there could be, Summers. Just what is it you want? Well, we've talked it over, and uh, we want you to get a lot of good, tough men together, maybe about uh, 20 of them, and deputize them. That way, there won't be any trouble. Yeah. That's what you want, is it? Yes, we do. Look, Summers, my job's to keep the peace around here, and I'm going to do it, but I'll do it in my own way. Oh, I know, Marshal, Now, you but... turn 20 deputies loose in that crowd looking for trouble, and they're going to find it. As soon as the wild ones heard about it, they'd bunch up and shoot it out with every one of them. Why, it'd turn into the worst slaughter dodge you've ever seen. I think that's about the most fool idea I ever heard of. Yeah, no reason for you to talk like that, Marshal. I think it's a good idea. I sure don't want my place wrecked just because you're mule-headed. You're a gambler, Torp. So? So you can take your chances along with everybody else. Now, if you don't want that, then close your place up tomorrow night. Well, lose all that Texas money? <laughs> That's not likely. Now, we're not all gamblers, Marshal. They can wreck my dry goods store just as fast as the gambling house once they get started. And it's up to you. That's right. It is up to me. And we're going to leave it that way. Then uh, you won't do anything. I'll do everything I can. 
I don't know, Marjorie. Look, Summers, I know you've got your doubts about me. That's natural. Some people think I'm too lax with Front Street. Some think I'm too severe. But that's the way of it in any town. If a peace officer does his job well, he pleases nobody. Marshal, we didn't come here for a lecture. What did you come for, Torp? Maybe you had in mind to help me pick out those deputies. Is that it? A matter of fact, I could, Marshal. Yeah, sure, sure. In a couple of hours, yours would be the only tables open for play. No, that's not what it's I... It's been done before, Torp. Is that too, Torp? We're not going to take his word for anything, are you? I don't know. But anyway, he won't listen to us, so it's his responsibility. Come on, men, let's get out of here. I hope you can handle it, Marshal. Goodbye, gentlemen. That torp is no good. He is just plain no good, Mr. Dillon. Well, now, I know one man that got skinned at his place, and torp gave him back $20 so as he wouldn't be broke. Huh? Just how much did this man lose, Doc? Oh, five or six hundred, they said. And then he... Uh... Oh, yeah, I see what you mean, man. I'm sure not going to be much good to you tomorrow night, Mr. Dillon. No, you can watch the jail right here, Chester. I know, but you just got to get somebody to help you out on the street. At least one man, anyway. You can't be everywhere at once. Yeah, but tomorrow night, Dodge will be overrun with trail boys and homesteaders. All looking for satisfaction. No, I wouldn't ask any man to face that. I know a few fellas who'd do it, and so do you, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, maybe. But I wouldn't ask anybody. How many were killed last year, man? I don't remember, Doc. Well, I do. Six, that's what. We buried them all in the saddle blankets. All except one. I remember he didn't even own a blanket. <laughs> well, then he was sure out of luck all the way around, wasn't he? Come on, Doc. Let's go get some dinner. Huh? All right. We'll bring you a piece of bread, Chester. Maybe. I want a steak. Rare. <laughs> How come you're so hungry, Chester? Were you in such a hurry to get over there last night you didn't take time for supper? Mr. Dillon, I will answer no more questions about last night, and that is final. <laughs> well, we'll bring you something. Yeah, I don't know if we should, though, Matt. A man can think about his sins better on an empty stomach. Close the door, will you? The next morning, I had Mr. Hightower print up some signs for me with a few rules that I made up for the roundup. They were fair and reasonable, and I hoped they'd be accepted without question. The principal restrictions were that there was to be no shooting and no reckless riding in the streets. That afternoon, I went from saloon to saloon and left a sign at each one. The Texas Trail was my last stop, and there I sat down with Kitty for a short beer. Town's beginning to fill up, Matt. Yeah, it'll be swamped to the dashboard by dark. You, um, expect trouble tonight? <laughs> I always expect trouble, Kitty. Yeah, I know. Matt, I heard something. Yeah? I heard Torp and a few of his men cut cards last night. So? I don't know who it came out for, but Low Man is supposed to kill you. Oh. When? Tonight, I suppose. Why is Torp after you, Matt? Uh, Torp says he wants an open town, Kitty. But what he's really after is somebody who'll close down every game but his. Mm. Who's this, Matt? 
What? Rough-looking traveler headed this way. What? What? Well, I'll be. Why, it's Zell Matlock. Zell! You old badger. How are you? <laughs> Zell, it's been a long time. Hey, a long time. Man. Here, come on over here. Sit down. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'd like for you to meet Kitty. Kitty, this is Zell Matlock. This Hi. is Kitty. Uh, how I do know you, ma'am. <laughs> Just rode into Dodge an hour ago. Yeah, it's your first time in the Zell. Hey, would you like a beer? Huh? Don't mind. Good. I uh, aimed to get drunk tonight, but before I got started, I thought I'd look up their peace officer and shoot him. I'd be sure to tangle with him before the night's out. I always figure it's safer to do it sober. So <laughs> he, he half means that, kid. So I asked around and found out the man's name is Matt Dillon, the United States Marshal. I've seen it all now. Well, I hope you're not disappointed. I'll, so. I'll tell you, Miss Kitty, I knew Matt Dillon before he got civilized. Why, we had to tie his leg up to give him a haircut when he came down. <laughs> Don't you yeah. believe a word that he says, Kitty. Yeah, the wilder the coat, the better the horse, Matt. Mm -hmm. well, you was all right. The only trouble with you was that fool honest streak you always had. <laughs> Are you rich now, Zell? Uh, nobody's rich on the Mexican border. Land of sunshine and pinna beans. I hired out to a general over in Chihuahua three years ago. I lost 20 pounds and was lucky to get back at all. Well, haven't you learned to stay out of Mexico yet? No, I met the man he wanted me to shoot and turned out to be a better fellow than the general. So I told him I'd been hired to kill him and then rode for the border. The general lost three soldiers who tried to stop me from swimming the Rio Bravo. Uh, you must be pretty handy with a gun, Zell. Yeah, just fair, ma'am. But when I take my gun out, I go right ahead and use it. Some people stop and think for half a second. Um, there's a roundup in Dodge tonight. Matt's handling it alone. Kitty, what the Yeah, no, no, hold it, hold it, man. I heard about it. I heard all about it, and that's why I'm here. To say hello and uh, sign on for a night's pleasure. Give me a star, Matt. I've killed on the side of the law before. <laughs> I don't believe that, and anyway, I, I don't want any killings here. No, I was joshing you, Matt. I know what you want. It's true. I was sheriff in Tascosa for six months. You what? Yeah, it's in the record. Well, they caught up with me there, but I'd already done such a good job taming the place that the governor pardoned me. <laughs> I won't kill anybody tonight that don't need killing. All right, all right. I believe you, so. But uh, I won't ask any man to come in when it's as rough as this roundup may be. Well, you didn't ask me. Any other objection? Well, uh, the men don't know you around here, Zell. No telling how they'd take to a stranger. First night I ran Tascosa, nobody knew me either. I'm not green at this business. Yeah, but Matt. it's my job. Why should you get mixed up in it? <clears throat> well, I... I also heard somebody's planning a party for you tonight. Oh, you did, huh? I've... Owed you something for a long time, Matt. Oh, that's got nothing to do with no, it. Oh, it has. You got no right not to let me pay it back a little. Now, there's a chance to. <laughs> yeah, you're just as crazy as you ever were. <laughs> that's better. Well, come on, let's go find me a badge before it gets dark. Sure, nice to have met you, Miss Kitty. Well, good luck, Zell. I'll see you later, Matt. Yeah, sure. So long, Kitty.
sure been a long time coming to Dodge, Mr. Matlock. What do you mean, Chester? Well, I've heard Mr. Dillon mention you a lot, but the way he talked, I wasn't never sure you were still alive. <laughs> oh, well, I was never sure either, Chester. You know, Zell isn't the most cautious man I ever knew. You think being a U.S. Marshal isn't asking for an early grave, Matt? Oh, maybe. But at least it's a way to do some good before you die. Whether folks think so or not. Oh, men like Torp, that's all. Oh, no, Chester, even good men have got a strange twist that makes them suspect any man paid to handle the bad element. Hey, you just can't help thinking that some of its dirt is rubbed off on him. You know, I never thought about that before, Matt. Sure, how it was in Tascosa. They wanted me there, all right, but they wanted me to uh, keep my distance, too. It makes a man kind of lonely. Yeah. They just don't know what's good for them, that's all. Uh. Instead of a real lawman, they'd rather hire some killer with a lot of notches carved on his gun. Well, there are plenty of them around. You sure are. Bragging kind. I never did like a man who has to notch his gun to keep his courage up. Yeah. My goodness. Look yonder. Mm. The street's about full already, and it isn't even dark yet. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, give yeah. me a hand here, will you? We'll move Chester's couch away from the window oh, there. All right. There, that should do it. Yeah, you'll be safer here, Chester, in case somebody gets it in mind to shoot up the jail. Thank you, Mr. Dillon. I can watch both doors from here. Uh, just hand me my gun belt, if you will. Oh, yeah. There you are. Well, come on, Sal. Uh, Chester, I'll get somebody at the Dodge House to fetch up some supper, huh? Thank you, sir. And, and good luck, both of you. So long, Chester. I see you, Chester. Well, how are we working, Matt? Uh, I tell you, Sal, you take this uh, side of the street. Uh, I'm going up to the Dodge House, and then I'll be on the other side somewhere. All right. Oh, say, you mind if I go back later and get that Spencer carbine of yours? Make a mighty handy club if I don't have to use it any other way. <laughs> sure, it's yours, Sal. Yeah. Who they got there? That fella on their shoulders. Oh, that's Mr. Hightower. He runs the printing press here. Shall, shall we stop it? Oh, no, no. They're just carrying him into the Longhorn to make him stand some drinks. Oh. They like Hightower. They won't hurt him. Well, I guess that sort of officially opens this here roundup, huh? Yeah, I guess it does. Well, I'll leave you here, Zell. Yeah, sure. Sure, man. And, uh, Zell, I, uh... I want to thank you for what you're doing tonight. I ain't done nothing yet, but I'll do plenty if someone shoots you in the back. <laughs> I can promise that. Yeah. Well, I'll see you later. Sure, Matt. When I came out of the Dodge House, Front Street was so full that if anybody had been shot, the crowd would have carried him along like one of the living. I had a feeling that the word was out about Torp and his bunch cutting cards to see who'd make a try for me, and that the crowd knew it and was waiting for it. I stood for a while with my back against Summer's dry goods store, then I left the street and cut down an alley thinking to change my position with as much irregularity as possible. I was passing the back door of the Texas Trail when I heard the first shot of the night. I entered the saloon from the rear and made my way into the crowd. It's all right, Marshal. There's no fight. It's not all right, Sam. I made a rule that there'd be no shooting for any reason. All right. Who fired that shot? Oh, it's outside. Nobody's fired in here. It 
was torque, Marshal. He, he just took a shot at the moon, that's all. Yeah. All right, Torp. Put the gun away and come over here. I'm bothering nobody, Marshal, excepting maybe you. Stand back, everybody. I said that's enough, Torp. No, it ain't, Dylan. This time I got the jump on you. You ain't pushing me no more. Torp's bullet just grazed my arm. Then I put one in his head and another in his chest. And at the same time, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a figure with a gun in each hand move out of the shadow of the alley and turn toward me on the boardwalk. And without really looking, I dropped him with one shot. And then I faced the crowd and waited for the next move. But for some reason, none came. Marshal? Yes, Summers. That uh, man you just shot, Marshal. Torp got what he deserved. Yes, I know. It's the other one that so I... So did he. Marshal, you'd better go take a look at that man. He's dying. Who is he? I don't know him, Marshal, but you do. What? He's wearing a star. No. No. Oh, Zell. Zell. Man. I think that did it. No, so. No. It's my fault. I crossed the street a while back. Left the carbine with Chester. It's no fault of yours. Matt? Oh, oh, there you are. Oh, Matt. Uh, how, how is he? Oh. Oh. Oh, goodness. No use, Doc. Thanks. So I, I just... Now listen. Listen to me, Matt. You did right. Only thing you could do. It was my fault. I shouldn't have crossed over and come up behind you. Anyway, Matt, I ain't been living on my own time ever since that day you pulled me out of the mob in Almogordo. I never thanked you for that. Guess I never will. Now, Matt, so long. Well, I'll find someone to carry him over to your office, Matt. No, I'll carry him. <laughs> I heard the shooting. Put a blanket on the floor there, Doc. Yeah, sure. Yeah, spread it. All right. Yeah. He's dead, Chester. Well, who shot him, sir? I shot him, Chester. I didn't know it was him. I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon. It sounds like they're going to hoorah the town after all, Matt. Sure does. No. No, they're not. 
It's going to be kind of hard to stop now, isn't it, Matt? Maybe. You taking a shotgun, Mr. Dillon? Matt, why don't you just let them fight each other? What are you going to do? I'm going to close Front Street. You're going to close... Oh, no, what? The party's over in Dodge. Mr. Dillon, you can't do that. There'll be trouble if I don't. The mob's tasted blood now. They'll shoot you sure as I'm laying here. Will they? All right, I can't stop you, but I sure do wish I could go with you. Yeah, Matt, I'll go. Maybe if they see me, they won't be so quick. Thanks, but this isn't your job, either one of you, but thanks. Sam? Yeah, Marshal? Close up and turn out your lights. What? You heard me! Now listen to me! Front Street's closed! Now get out of here and go home, all of you! My home is in Texas, mister. If you ever had one. I ain't going home tonight. Not tonight, I ain't. Don't interfere, fella. You got no chips in this deal. I could buy in, mister. <laughs> Now I'll use this shotgun for what it was meant on the next man. Well? All right, Sam, close it up. Yes, sir. The street's closed. Put out your lights. Huh? You heard me. Lock the place up. I know. I ain't gonna do it. Now, don't tell me what you're gonna do. All right, boys. We're closing up. That took care of the Texas Trail and the Longhorn. And I moved on through the Oasis and the Olifraganza, and into the smaller bars that infested the outskirts of town. When I came back up Front Street, the crowd had thinned, its fever broken. I'd left Torp's place for the last, thinking to give his men a chance to get out of town before they faced me. It was a gambling hall on the same side of the street as the jail. And when I reached it and entered, there weren't more than a dozen men there. And most of them stepped quietly past me out into the street. What was left didn't seem to count for much. Looking for somebody, Marshal? You a friend of Torp's? Uh, yes, I was. Why? Who else here worked for Torp? I didn't Everyone's gone, Marshal. They heard you were all riled up and they left. And you're alone. And still in bad company. I wouldn't ordinarily take that. Well, go ahead, mister. You're calling it. No. Not now. What's stopping you? No, if it's the shotgun... Now, does that make it easier for you? I haven't been looking for you, Marshal. You were in on the cut, weren't you? Torp's dead, Marshal. Isn't that enough? Torp! Mister, one of the best men I ever knew died tonight. And I killed him. I'm not a gunman, Marshal. You wouldn't be proud killing me. 
What does a man like you know about pride? Now, you get out of Dodge, and you get out fast. But I don't... You want to die in this place right now? No. No, I'm leaving. All right, hurry. The rest of the night, I walked the dark, empty street alone. And just before dawn, I got a spring wagon and loaded Zell onto it. A couple of hours later, I buried him out by the Arkansas in a little grove of cottonwoods. Maybe I should have put a marker on his grave, but I didn't. What I did instead, I did partly out of scorn for the kind of men Zell said have to notch their guns to keep their courage up. And partly as a kind of a cross that I'd bear from now on. So instead of a marker on his grave, I took out my gun and I cut a single notch on it. Smoke under the direction of Norman MacDonald stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner and Harry Bartell, with Lawrence Dobkin, Lou Krugman, and James Nusser. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Listen to CBS Radio for Spring Byington as December Bride. And say, after you hear December Bride tomorrow night, listen for the important announcement about its new night and time on CBS Radio. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Amos and Andy are here every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network. That was Gunsmoke, as originally broadcast on CBS on the 14th of February, back in 1953. Wasn't that a good episode? How about the sound quality on that one?
folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. And we'll be back next week with the Archive Show, back in two weeks with an all-new show. And I really do want to thank you for all of your support. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. Ooh.